0: talking about these six values that we believe will revolutionize your life in ministry. And when I say your, that means that we're all involved because we're all in this thing together, right? So as you gain more clear focus in your, in your walk, in your, in your relationship with Jesus, then we're all a part of that. And so we've been talking about prayer, and we started last week. And let me do just a little bit of review, and we'll get, kind of get to the middle of that message where we were. I was challenged in, in teaching on these values because some of these, like, for instance, prayer represents a huge body of biblical material and a lot of different perspectives and a lot of different things that that I have taught and preached about prayer or that could be said about prayer. You know that, you know that's right. There's a lot you can say about prayer, and people get hyped about prayer, whether or not they do it or not. But the Lord took us to the book of James and to his rather brief statement about this man, Elijah, and how that applies to us. Because the point about, the point in this message is what is God saying to you and to me right now with regard to prayer that will make a real difference in the way that we, that we connect with prayer and that we move forward. Do you understand what I'm saying? Sometimes from my perspective, it's like I find myself trying trying to communicate in ways that will motivate us to kind of break the inertia or the, the malaise that comes from just living and doing business as a church. Because we go through a, a given year and we, there are all the things that we do as, as the church, you know, we, there are the prayer events and, and the prayer times and all of those things are wonderful and, and our congregation is generally very responsive, but, you know, still there's a, there, there, there are points when you feel like we're, you know, individually or corporately that we're, we're stuck and we want to do something, we want to experience something fresh and new. We want to kind of go to a another level. We want to go to another another plane of experience and, and, and probably more so with regard to us as individuals. We talk one reality corporately, but with regard to our personal lives and the way this stuff works for us personally, we find ourselves sometimes needing to be kind of, get a little kick in the seat of the pants, figuratively speaking, obviously. And so that, that was, that, that was my, my prayer was like, Lord, what are you saying to us what is it that you want to say to us right now in 2013, in the middle of the year, and as you have been kind of troubling the waters around us with regard to growth and forward movement, because there's a degree to which I think we, we, we have kind of got a little stagnant because of, we just are trying to do the work of ministry, trying to raise funds, trying to preach the gospel, trying to bless people, trying to serve and, and you, we come up against various walls and, and challenges. And sometimes we say, how do we meet those challenges? How do we deal with those obstacles? How do we reach new folks? And we find when we, you know, and people, it's easy to sit on the sidelines and, and talk about stuff as though it's easy to do. And, and it's so funny because someone asked me yesterday, this is the, the, the politically correct thing you're supposed to ask pastors. Well, is your church growing? And it's like, and I understand kind of where that comes from, but it's like, that goes back to the '90s church growth movement, and the and, and that was just kind of the thing to ask people. And, and the question, the answer for me is always going to be yes. You know why? Because even in seasons where we have not grown numerically, if we have not grown spiritually, then I may as well hang up my hat. And I believe that we have grown consistently. And there are some of you that are growing by leaps and bounds. And that's the thing we do. If we, if I can't get the numbers. Working the way I want, then I'm going to do the other. You you do what you can do until you can do better at what you want to do. And so, what if I can't do anything else, I can I can lead this congregation deeper in our walk with Jesus, deeper in our understanding of the Word, deeper in our apprehension of spiritual truth, deeper in our commitment to serve. And what we've done in the last year and a half, two years, one of the things that where God has in, caused us to grow spiritually is that we have begun to reach out of, side of these four walls and reach out into the surrounding community and to give out some stuff and to share some stuff and to try to help some people and to try to get to know some people that we don't know. And, you've, and when you do that, amen, amen, when you do that, you realize that ministry is not the walk in the park that a lot of people think it is. Be careful about criticizing and judging people in ministry, other churches and pastors and leaders. You know why? Because you realize that Everybody is struggling to find what God wants them to do, and when they find that out, they're struggling to do it because we live in an interesting time and in an interesting culture. You only need to listen to the news of the last week to realize just how, how challenging this cultural environment is for the church of Jesus Christ in this day. So you if you don't we don't grow numerically in a given season as we'd like. We can always. If you can't, it's like this. If, and you know how it is. You can't always grow financially like you'd like to, right? But I'll tell you what, you can grow personally. If you, if you don't have the money you want to do, you can't buy the house you want and the car you want and invest. And in. some of of, of of you are trying to, when we talk about retirement, you say, I want to get some more money in retirement. If you can't do that in a moment, what can you do? There's something you can do. And so how do I get on, that, on this discussion? Well, the point is this. God is saying, we, we've got to... Get a hold of prayer in a certain way that will enable us to make a difference in this season and going forward in our personal lives and in our life together as a church. That's what I'm trying to say. James writes this. He says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We did that this morning, didn't we? I don't know if you confessed your sins to each other. You, you might have got a little bit more free if you had, but, but you prayed for each other. And how many of you believe that God was healing folks as we were doing that this morning? And then listen what he says. The prayer of a righteous person is what? And he goes on. He says, Elijah, Elijah was was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. And so we focused in on this one statement the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. And effective. Let's say that together. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Last week we explored the basic premise of this text, and the basic premise is very simple but very profound, and that is this it's very pragmatic as well. Prayer works. I mentioned the fact that I don't, sometimes I've recoiled at that kind of pragmatism. I've heard people say that, and I say, oh, I don't like to think about God like that. Prayer works. It's like, but it's like, God is is like a person, but you know what? I we concluded from the text and from the Word of God that what does this passage say? What does it say very clearly to us? Prayer works. It's like I, I'm in a relationship with my wife, and and I, I can say romance works. I heard a preacher say a while back. He said, "Romance without finance ain't got a chance." Now that I thought about that, but. But I I could say, well, that sounds pragmatic. Romance works. But the truth of the matter is, you know what? It works to produce a, a, a warm and loving relationship when people do kind and affectionate and romantic and loving and caring things for each other. And sometimes when you don't feel like doing it, you do it because it's the thing to do, and you do it because it positively affects the other person and it promotes the relationship. And so there's pragmatism everywhere. Giving works. If you give in faith and you give obediently and sacrificially, It works. Some of you have not discovered that yet, but God promises that when you give, and it's not that you give just to get stuff, but God says, Jesus says, you give and it will be given to you. It works. Prayer works. The prayer of a righteous person, if you're in right relationship with God, your prayer is powerful and effective. That's the premise that we began with last week. And then we talked about the the person in this text, the example of Elijah. And I want to talk about Elijah in a moment because... A little bit more closely, but there's, this, there's the dichotomy in this text, and the dichotomy is this. If you go to the Old Testament and, and read about Elijah, Elijah is a larger-than-life figure, right? Many of the great figures of the Old Testament are larger than life. Abraham is larger than life. I mean, what kind of person? I mean, which one of us? I mean, this is the Bible says of Abraham that God told him to go, to get up and go. And he went. And what was the problem with that? He didn't know where he was going. God says, go. He said, okay, where we going? And God said, I'll tell you later, just go. There's not too many of us that, that's like way beyond our faith. It's like God says, G- go. We said, go where? He said, just go. We said, well, I don't know where to go. We'll just get up and start moving. And we said, well, I'm not going to move till you tell me what you're doing. Abraham was amazing. And he's the father of, the, of, of, of all of the Israel people, Israelites. And then there's Moses. My goodness, Moses, huge. I mean, look at, you know, parting the Red Sea and all the miracles and leading all of the Israelites out of slavery. Amazing. David, larger than life, larger than life. Solomon. And then we go into the prophets and there's Elijah, all of the miracles, standing up to the powers of evil, standing up to those, to the, the idolatry within Israel, standing up for the word of the Lord. Elijah, larger than life. But the thing that's interesting about this text is that while on one hand Jewish people knew to revere Elijah because of his prophetic history, what is James saying to us? As awesome and as powerful and as faith-filled and as anointed and as blessed and and as mighty as Elijah was, he was a man just like you. He was a person just like you are. He was, the King James says he was a man of like passion, I believe. some one, one version says he was a man of similar feelings. He had thoughts and feelings and emotions. You know what that means? Because you think about prayer and you think about getting things done th- on your knees and becoming a mighty warrior for God in prayer and you think about the fact that, wow, Elijah was this man of prayer and he prayed that it wouldn't rain and it didn't rain and then he prayed and it would rain and it rained. That's, man, what a man of faith. And you think, well, Elijah must have been the kind of guy that when he prayed like that, he was just filled with confidence and he just, he prayed it and he, he just stood, stood there and watched it happen. And sometimes we read the biblical text and it kind of seems that way, but, what? James is saying is really, beneath the surface, Elijah was, despite all appearances, a regular guy. So maybe in the, in the night season, having prayed that it, was, that it would not rain, and with the rain having been withheld, maybe he might have tossed and turned a couple of times, wondering was there going to be an overnight thunderstorm to mess up what he had asked God for, because in his humanity, maybe there was just a little bit of fear that crept in. When he makes these bold proclamations, maybe there's just a little bit of, of trepidation that, wow, I'm standing up for God. And we see Elijah when, he, when, he, when, when, when uh, he gets on the run, when Jezebel has him basically on the lamb because he's been threatened. We see his humanity when he holds up in a cave and he says, wow, all the prophets have been killed and I'm the only one left. He's a man. He's a person. He's a regular person like we are. So the scripture talks about all the things that he does. But what James does, he says this, and, and understand this, understand, listen, listen to this carefully. James, in the text that we read, takes all of the Old Testament story of Elijah and his prayer that it wouldn't rain and what God does with him on Mount Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, and Asherah, before God sent the rain, all of that stuff. And James says this, he prayed earnestly. He prayed earnestly. Literally translated from the Greek, it would read like this. In prayer, he prayed. In prayer, he prayed. James doesn't give us all of Elijah's accomplishments. James doesn't even address the issue of Elijah's zeal or his emotion. James doesn't talk about how often Elijah prayed. He doesn't talk about how long Elijah prayed. But in verse 17 and 18, he says he prayed that it wouldn't rain. And he goes on and says, then again, he prayed. And it says this about Elijah. He was a man of prayer. So drought began when he prayed and drought ended when he prayed. It says again, he prayed in verse 18, and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. And the rain brought, of course, an end to famine. And in the moist earth, the seeds germinated, the crops began to grow again. So Elijah demonstrates for us, and this is where we'll finish up here, a pattern for effective prayer. First of all, here's the pattern. First of all, I don't, first of all, his prayer was earnest. Now, listen to this because he says literally he prayed earnestly or in prayer he prayed or he prayed his prayer. Now, when you were a kid, your mama used to tell you, right, or your mom, your, your, I would say your dad, but usually it's our, our mothers who did the prayer piece with us oftentimes. It shouldn't be that way your mother said, say your prayers. (laughs) Say your prayers. And sometimes as adults we say, well, I'm just going to go over here and say my prayers. One of the things that might attenuate the effectiveness of our prayers is when we merely say our prayers rather than pray our prayers. And it's interesting that James writes that Elijah prayed his prayers. Now, am I basically quibbling over words here or what? I think that there's a difference between saying something because it's kind of the thing to say, like, some of us bless our meals. Man, when I was coming up, I got blessings down to a science. Because the standard blessing for our family was this. Thank you for this food we're about to receive for the nourishment of our bodies. In Jesus' name, amen. That was, that was, and then, and then the, the, the verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But you get to where you can say that, thank you for this food we're about to receive for the nourishment of our bodies. Christ, name, amen. Lord, my shepherd, I shall not want. And you say it real fast. And then some of you go to the shortest version, but you, I'm going to use a different Bible verse, Jesus wept. Two words. Some of you, some of you go to the Book of Acts. Rise, Peter, slay and eat. We say a prayer. Sometimes we pray perfunctorily. We pray because someone expects us to pray, right? You know what I'm talking about? You know, sometimes when people call upon you, sometimes you know, if I call upon you to pray, if I say to brother, so and so, I'd like you to come up and uh, and lead us in prayer. And you're like, wow, I don't, I'm not, I am so not feeling prayer today. The pastor asked me to come up, and you come up, and so you just think of some stuff you heard, and you string together some phrases, and you say, You say a prayer. There's a world of difference between that and someone who comes up with a burning prayer in their heart, with a clear objective before them, and from a place of earnestness and sincerity, they're able to cry out and call out to God and call down the powers of heaven. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And that's what happens when we come together sometimes on our first Saturday prayer meetings. And, man, the last one was really powerful because what happens is, you know, we're all human. And so in any time anytime we have prayer gatherings, there could, there could be some prayer saying because sometimes we can just do it because... Uh, I got to say something. So you just say something you heard somebody say or what you always say. But, you know, you can always tell when the, when the Spirit of God is praying through somebody and they begin to, uh, to really call down the power of God. And they ain't saying their prayers. They're praying their prayers. And they're doing it from a place of earnestness and, and sincerity and, and reality and, and, and honesty in their soul. And, and you feel the, spirit of, the presence of the Spirit of God in that moment because they're praying their prayers. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you know what? I think there are times in all of our lives when we'll kind of say our prayers. At times you get on your knees and you, and you just, I got to say something because I need to be down here. But, man, I'm not feeling it. But the thing about Elijah was that Elijah prayed earnestly. And we need to get to that place of earnestness. And one of the ways we get to that place, that's why we worship God. Because as we worship, we begin to condition and prepare our hearts. And that's why it was so good to pray today. Because after a, a season of worship, our hearts are conditioned to pray with a certain kind of earnestness, and urgency. So that's why when you go to pray personally, if you, you, know, you want to jump down there on your knees and just start going at it, pull out your Bible and open the Psalms and begin to read Psalms of, prayer, of praise and begin to sing a song of praise and begin to thank God and to worship God and to bless God for what He's done in your life. Begin to give Him some praise and begin to allow the Spirit to tenderize your heart and condition your spirit so that when your prayer time comes, it can, be, it can go forth in earnestness. You can pray your prayers and not say your prayers. How many of you know what I'm talking about? In other words, Elijah meant business with God. Elijah was serious about God. He was serious about prayer. And the way it works with a lot of us is that we're serious about God when we're up against some serious adversity and challenges in our lives, but... They're, when things are going well, we're not often as serious and we don't often mean business about God because we're too much into our own business. Earnest prayer. Earnest prayer. But that's not all. Elijah's prayer was specific. Elijah just didn't say, oh God, do something up in here right now. He didn't just say, God, touch, bless. Bless help, Lord. He didn't say, Lord, show up. Stop by. No, that was a specific request. He didn't just say God do something, but he asked for something specifically. He says he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And one of the problems with our prayers is that our prayers tend to lack this kind of power, this kind of effectiveness because they are too broad and too unfocused and too general. Lord, bless the missionaries over yonder. Lord, help the people. Lord, touch the pastor. What does that mean? Some of you say he's already touched in the head. <laughs> touch the pastor. I need more than just a touch from God, I need more than just some nebulous, nondescript. Blessing from God, I need specific things from God. When I'm going before God in in the preaching of the word, I need the anointing of God. I need the wisdom of God. I need the knowledge of God. I need the Holy Spirit to quicken my mind and my spirit and to speak through me. What does it mean? We say, Lord, bless so-and-so. What does that mean? Well, you know, bless. But can we I tell you, I was really struck by this too, because when uh, there was someone when we did the the concert a few months ago, there was somebody that was as we were leaving. A sister said, "said Pastor, and she doesn't attend this church." And she said, "How how do you want how how do you want me to pray for you?" And I and I said something because first of all, it was nine o'clock on Sunday night, and I had preached led worship, preached in the morning service, sound checked, rehearsed, and just played a show. <laughs> and so I was a little, kind of at the end of my day. I, I do pretty good, but I was, you know, so I said something general. And she said, I need you to be more specific. And I said, whoa. I said, yes. <laughs> and so I, I had to stop, and I said, and I started to, I had to lay a couple things, a couple points out. Pray for, for me that God will do this and that in, and in our church and, and that kind of thing. And, and, and I was struck by that. I, and I liked her boldness and I liked her frankness. That she, she didn't want to stay in the realm of the non-specific. and, you know, Pastor, how can I pray? Pray to God would bless us. What does that mean? Amen. <laughs> what does that mean? Dare to be specific. And with regard to our church right now, we got to, right now, we got to, we can't just, we, we are not in a strategic position to be able to say, Lord, bless, grace, chop. That's, that's a starting point. That's the blanket prayer. But we've got to begin to focus in on some, some more specific stuff. And in the weeks to come, as we go through this year, I, we're, going to, we're going to narrow our goals and our focus down even more than we have. But right now, we're praying, we're praying, for, we're praying for God to send people that's a little more specific. We're praying for God to, to cause us to be able to, to make contact with unchurched people that need the gospel. That's a specific thing. Lord, whether it's through our outreach ministry or through our personal dealings in the world, Lord, we want to inter- engage in meaningful conversation and relationship with people that need the gospel so that we can invite them to church and share our story with them. Lord, and I'm praying, Lord, send me some more soldiers like some of y'all that I got. Because we want the unchurched folks, but I need a few more church folks because we need a few more hands on deck for the work that we got to do. So I'm praying, and I get a little more specific than that. And I'm praying for certain people with certain gifts and certain specific things because I know what we need. And I'm praying not just, Lord, bless Grace Chapel. I'm praying, Lord, bless our, our church financially. And I'm not just praying that generally because that could be, well, that means an extra $2 in the offering. No, I, and I'm not going to tell you what my, all my prayer life business, but I, I pray and ask God on Sunday for specific attendance numbers, and I pray for certain dollar amounts in the offering. Then some of you in your personal lives, you've got to ask God for the job you want. Don't just tell him, God, give me a job. Ask him for the one that you want. And we'll talk about how that plays out with regard to the will of God. For some of you, you know that the kind of money that you need. You need to ask God for that amount of money and not just, Lord, bless me with some more money because what's more money? I got maybe 10 bucks in my pocket right now. More money, if I you, you give me a dollar, I got 11. But that's not going to really do very much for me. So, you know, it's more money, more blessing. more. But what? And so as we work together and walk together, and as we live our lives, God will begin to give us targets and things before us that we say, Lord, I, give." it's like, you remember the Old Testament? It's like, give me this mountain. Give me this thing. And for us, there used to be a motel over here. Remember that? The infamous Sentinella Motel. We didn't have air conditioning. And the windows would have to be open on a hot day like this. And there would be slamming doors and cussing and smoking dope and and running in and out there and yelling and screaming. And every year the police would raid it and shut it down until somebody else bought it. And then one day we found out it was on the market and we found out by a miracle because there was no sign. And so we asked. We didn't say, Lord, do something with the motel. We said, Lord, give us that motel. And God blessed us to be able to buy the motel and tear it down because... So we got rid of it. And so you got a place to park that we didn't have before. You ask God for what you want. Don't just, you got some wayward, crazy loved ones that need to be saved. Don't just pray, Lord, touch them, bless them. Pray that God would save them and sanctify them and fill them with the Holy Spirit. That God would radically alter their lives and turn them around. That God would deliver them from drugs and alcohol. That God would set them free. Set specific goals and pray. Write it down and keep a record of it so that when God answers your prayer, you can look back at when you prayed it and rejoice and thank God for the answer to the prayer. God wants you to enter into that kind of specific prayer relationship with him where you begin to ask for specific things and and receive those things. Specific. Dare to be specific. Um, I'm running out of time here. And then the third thing is this. Believing prayer. We'll talk about faith next week. Probably for a couple of weeks. Big, important discussion. Because that's a big, that's a big thing that God is doing in us is to help us to recover our understanding of biblical faith. And I talked last week a little bit, uh, I did a, we riffed a little bit about this thing about how we, because there, there, there are people that have taken certain concepts of the Christian faith and gone off in left field with them and, and gone extreme with them and said stuff that wasn't necessarily true about them. And then so then we allowed the devil to rob us of that whole concept because there are people that went crazy with faith. And somebody that needed to go to the doctor and died, and you said, that's a shame. And somebody was laying hands on somebody and parading up, up in front of you like they got healed, and it was a sham. And you said, that's a shame. And you shook your head and you said, see there, we don't go out for all that. We don't go out for nothing. We don't believe God for nothing. We don't pray for nothing. We don't ask God. We've abandoned the problem. So we don't want the devil to, to rob us of our belief. But a person who prays knows that God doesn't operate by human logic and human reasoning we determine our goals we tend to do this by this question what can we do or inflected like this what can we do as a church and as an individual but i'm speaking as a pastor we will never get anywhere is it what can we do there are times in your life when god did something huge for you because you asked them to, and it wasn't based upon your resources and your capability. we like, well, what, what can we do? We start counting our little pennies up. We start looking at our strength. I've heard people say, well, you know, God ain't ready to bless the church to grow yet. We're not ready. When do you get ready? How do you... The question is not what can we do? The question is what can God do? The question is not how big we are. The question is how great is our God? Howard Hendricks wrote this. He said, the size of your God will determine the size of everything in your theology and everything in your Christian experience. How big, how great is our God? We sing that as a proclamation, how great is our God. But put it as a question, how great, how large, how powerful is your God? And for some of you, your God, as J.B. Phillips wrote 50 years ago. Your God is too small. Your God is reading the stock indexes. Your God is looking at the state of the economy. Your God is looking at the current state of medical science. Your God is looking at the realities of the world around you. But my God says that he's greater than everything else. And there's nothing too difficult for him. Myron Rush Wrote this, he said, Show me a person with small goals, and I'll show you a person with a small God. The size of your goals reflects the size of our God. When I say something outrageous about what I believe God will do, I tell you that I see this place filled with people. Because the thing about it, sociologically, it's a challenge because it's just when I study church growth and study missiology and all that stuff. There, there, there's, there's all these theories and there's homogeneous units of the idea that people like to be with people like themselves so when I tell you that, they're going, that God's going to call together a, a diverse group of all kinds of people and, and this place is going to be bursting at the seams with people with all kinds of different folks of different ethnicities and different socioeconomic classes and all of that stuff, we say well that, do, that doesn't make sense because according to the, according to the statistics, the, the, the body of literature, I know about the body of literature I know that this place is too small. They say when you get 80% full, you're going to stop growing. That's, That's a church growth law that when you get 80% full and I know that and that's a challenge for us because the question is what do you do well when we get 80% full and when uh, based upon the laws of church growth that says you're going to stop growing that's when you say okay but that's in the case that God has not showed up and said I will in this situation supersede that law so that this church can accomplish its mission its destiny and I will open up a door and make a way Real estate prices in, in L.A., particularly for commercial real estate of any size with the parking requirements and all of the things you need to, to, to house a church like we are growing to become are incredible. And so if we base it upon the prevalent realities, we'll just never get anything done because it'll always be, well, you know, we ain't got no money. <laughs> oh, but my God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Everything that... That, that, that is everything that was created belongs to him. There is no lack, there's no shortage in God. I don't have no, a lot of money, but God owns everything and there's nothing too great for God. Nothing too great for God. So we begin to believe God and trust God to do great things. We understand that if we have to think beyond the, prep, the present limitations of our circumstances, what we see, what we hear, the, the five senses, believing prayer. It's funny because in in 1 Kings 18, when the false gods were defeated there on Mount Carmel, Elijah says to Ahab, he says, there is the sound of a heavy rain. At that moment, there wasn't a cloud in the sky. What was he talking about? He's listening with the ears of faith. He's hearing with the ears of faith because at that moment, there's not a cloud in the sky, but Elijah Verse 42, it tells us in 1 Kings 18, he says, Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel, bent down to the ground, and put his face between his knees. And then from there, he prayed, believing in spite of the visible evidence. And then he tells the servant, go up and look toward the sea. The servant went up and looked, and he says, there's nothing there. Isn't that how it is sometimes? You've prayed and asked God to heal, to save your loved one, and... There's no apparent change. You prayed and asked God to provide for you and there seems to be no provision forthcoming. You've prayed and asked God to heal you and there seems to be no healing taking place in your body. You've prayed and asked God to bless your family in a certain way and a certain specific request, and it yeah. doesn't seem to be coming. And so he goes up and seven times Elijah said, Go back. And then the seventh time the servant reports A cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. A little cloud. Then six times, there was nothing. But the seventh time, he says, go back. And there's this cl- finally, they, he spots this tiny cloud. And so he doesn't keep it to himself, hoping that God would come through. So that's what we do sometimes. We pray and ask God for something, and we, and we see a, a, a bit of, of action on the horizon, and we keep it to ourselves because we want to make sure that what we see is really what's happening and that God's really going to come through for us. That's what we sing about in that song, Be Magnified, O Lord. We said, you know, I... I I began to believe that you weren't able to help me. I began to believe that you didn't care about me. I began to believe that you were incapable of of doing the things that you promised to do. But he doesn't wait for the cloud to become fully formed. He sends a message to Ahab. He said, it's time to get out of here because there's a storm coming. The roads are going to be flooded. There's rain on the horizon. And what happens is we give up too soon because we fail to believe. I'll put it to you like this. Expect nothing and you will never be disappointed. <laughs> Fourth thing, prayer that understands that understands God's will. The dichotomy is this. I've said to pray for specific things. And I don't think based upon my understanding of Scripture and based upon my relationship with Jesus and my experience with God. It's kind of like this. Some of us are, himp- are hindered or hampered by our fear that we're going to ask for something that's not the will of God and maybe get it and get in a lot of trouble and sometimes maybe for some of you that's happened. I think we should have enough faith and be bold enough to ask for what we believe is God's will for us. Prayer, real prayer, is not just talking to God, but real prayer involves listening to God. Real prayer is a conversation that's engaged in, in the context of a relationship where we begin to form our understanding of God's will based upon his word, based upon the time we spend with him. And so there's not this fear that I'm going to ask God for something that's not his will and maybe offend him or maybe somehow get something in my life that is destructive for me. But as we come to, you see, as you grow deeper in your knowledge of Jesus, this is what you want to do. You want to get to know Jesus so well. You want to become so close with him. You want to walk in such a friendship with him so that when you, are, that when you pray, you automatically kind of know where his heart is. Amen. See, I know something about Jesus. I will never pray, Lord, I'm asking you to, if somebody comes in here and needs to be delivered from, from, from drugs or alcohol or some other heinous bondage in their lives, some work of the enemy, I'm never going to say, Lord, if it's your will, set that person free. You know why? Because Jesus told me, he says, you know what, it is not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. I, The Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. That is my agenda. That's what I'm about. So whenever you encounter a person that needs deliverance, whenever you encounter somebody that needs the gospel, whenever you encounter somebody that needs to be set free, you know my heart and until so you can do my work. You don't ever have to stop and wonder, oh, God, is this your will? Oh, let me be led. Listen, just, Jesus went forth doing good as the Father led him. And you just go forth in that spirit. And, and there's a lot of things. It's like we talk about ministry. We talk about church growth and, and outreach and all those things. Do you think that God has consigned any of us to spiritual mediocrity? Do you think that God has said, I don't really want you to do a whole lot of stuff for me? Because I'm coming back soon. I want you to just take it easy. It's not my will that you should save souls. It's not my will that you should lay hands on the sick. It's not my will, Grace Chapel. Uh, My will for you is just that you should become a complacent little introverted church of people who basically love each other and the world around you can go to hell in a handbasket, but that's all right. You're going to praise your way into heaven and God loves you just as you are. God's will is not that you do something great. It's just that you be you. See, I understand the will of God for his people. is that his, Jesus said this. This is to my father's, my father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. God's purpose for all of us as followers of Jesus is to bear fruit for the kingdom of God as we stay connected to the vine. That's God's will. And so anything that has to do with that automatically is God's will. And so when you get that thing in front of you, you pray and ask God for it and believe it and go for it, knowing it's the will of God. But you learn that through your relationship and your communion and your conversation with Jesus. It's His will, and so prayer includes this discovery process of the will of God through listening to Him and then asking for what we know to be His will, and then finally, prayer upholds God's honor. Throughout the story in First Kings and the, uh, the story of Elijah, there is the undercurrent of there's this, this concern, and this concern for God's glory. On Mount Carmel, Elijah prays. He says, O Lord, God of Abraham, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me so these people will know. Do you hear what he's saying? Answer me so these people will know that you, O Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. You see, there's a couple things happening here. When your life is blessed, when you are walking in the joy of the Lord, when you are walking in the peace of God, when your needs are met, when your family is whole, when you are whole, when you are walking in God's provision and blessing and when God is working in your life and through you to be a blessing to others, it's not just so that you can be a happier you. You will be happy. But you know who really gets the glory and the honor for that? Conversely, do you think God is glorified when we are bumbling, stumbling, don't have a clue, distraught, riddled with worry and fear and anxiety, disorganized, life in constant disarray, living under fear and shame and guilt and condemnation because we dare not claim the promises of God. No prayer life, no faith, no belief, Living, calling ourselves Christians and living like those who don't have any hope. Do you think that that glorifies God? Do you think that makes God look good? At least that's real. Yeah, that's real bad. Real sorry. Do you think that People, if somebody that doesn't know Christ and they say, "Well, you know, this is my church." Well, what's your church doing? We don't do nothing. We just sing songs and we kind of we just smile at each other a lot. And people say, "Wow, what kind of God is that?" Do you think that? But don't. On the other hand, you think that your God is. It makes your God look good and it, and it increases his fame and his notoriety when people hear that you were out on the parking lot yesterday loving and serving people and giving stuff to people and, and praying for people's needs and trying to reach out. Don't you think that what makes God look good, we talk about God's glory, we're really talking about what makes God look good as opposed to what makes you and I look good. God's glory paints the proper picture of him before the principalities and powers before the world before the nations before the people and it shows that god is god that god is mighty that god is good and so when you and i are blessed and when we walk in faith and when we walk in the blessings of god it brings honor and glory when we walk in this kind of actualized prayer it glorifies god it upholds his honor Because your life is the testimony, your life is the story, your life is the book that people are going to read that says to them that God is real. They're looking around and saying, God isn't real, we don't believe this stuff. It's all a bunch of fairy tales and stories, until they hear the story about how your back was to the wall, and there was this time when all the odds were against you, and somehow some miracle took place in your life, and it's not just that you got a lot of stuff, it's not just that you got better when you were sick. But it was that, maybe you had that illness that the doctor said was incurable, but you rose up from your sick bed. Maybe it was, but more than that, more than that, the fact that your life was in the tank, your life was, was shot, you were, you were headed to a, a crisis eternity, you were, your life was riddled with addiction and, and with confusion and sin and shame, and God lifted you up out of that pit of despair and out of that muck and that mire. That makes God look good to the world, and it upholds his honor. It glorifies him. You know what I'm saying? So then you can go to your friends at work and say, man, let me tell you what my God is doing, what God is doing in my life. Man, let me tell you this story. I prayed and asked God for this situation. You can tell people, you know, about your church. Our church fed 4,500 people on thanksgiving or our church uh, gave out uh, clothing to 150 people our church hosted a job fair and and 750 people got interviews our church did this and our church we saw so many people we baptized 400 people at, at baptism stuff that has to do with people's lives being changed and and people being blessed and tangible results in the lives of people that glorifies god people don't care about all that other stuff we got we got a new sound system so what they rebuilding the forum over there, too. They're going to have a new sound system, too, and I guarantee you it's going to be more dope than the megachurch down the street. But People don't care about that stuff. They got, we got full projectors in our building. But are you projecting the image of the living Christ in the lives of his people, in the world, and the community around you? Are you projecting that image out into the street, out into the world, out into the place where you work, out into your neighborhood? Let me wrap it up. Let me wrap it The message was this. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah was a regular guy. Now Superman, we just had the Man of Steel just come out. I loved Superman when I was a kid, back when, listen, I'm old enough to where I remember when TVs were black and white. How many you know what I'm talking about? When we got our first color TV, I was amazed. But I remember Superman was in black and, mo- and white, and, and uh, Man of Steel, faster than a speeding bullet, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, you know the rest. Superman. That was before Batman came out. Pow, bam, bip. And, and Elijah, you can say he's like Superman. He's like Clark Kent with the dorky glasses. And then he goes into the phone booth in Palestine somewhere. And he comes out at Mount Carmel and, he, and, and Ahab and, and, and Jezebel. No, what the word of God is saying with James, said, understand this. You don't have to be a Superman to experience supernatural power in your life and in your world. You just have to be a regular person that's sold out and committed to God. You just have to be a regular person that loves Jesus, a regular person that will dare to ask for what God has put before you, a regular person that will dare to believe the Word of God and walk in a personal relationship with Jesus. That's all it takes. You don't have to be no Superman and sometimes in the church we got all hung up everybody trying to be a superman and we say I want to be, be a man of faith and power I want to be God's special servant in his life." you know and all of us can be that but you know what you can be you and you can be supernaturally natural and God will work through your life because the power is not of you but it is of God <laughs> Elijah was a man just like you so guys here's the thing we don't, get, we don't have to like change the way we talk so we start hallelujah we thank you oh God that we come to this place on the day. You know, that's the way you pray. Go on and pray like that. That's fine. And, but you can be, if, you know, if, if, you, if, you're, if you're quiet, some of you guys are real quiet. You're like, Lord, we just thank you and help us, bless us. You know, and then you start praying and you believe that stuff and, and, and pray in faith. You, can, you, you might be loud and boisterous, and that's okay, too. God loves, God loves loud and boisterous people, but he loves y'all quiet folks. You can, be, you can use all the religious language. Some of you are very church, and you know, you know how to turn all those phrases from the King James Bible, and some of you know none of that, and so you just, like, put things... Up. Lord, I need a car. God, I need some money. And you think God said, well, you know what? You need to go back, and you need to go back to the Baptist church where your mama went to and learn how to say that differently, then come back to me. No, God says, no, I hear exactly what you're saying, and boom, I, I'm, I'm going to bless you. And whether you. Whether it's a lot of words, because Jesus said, don't think that you're going to be heard for your much speaking. It's not, about, it's not about a lot of words. And you say, Pastor, it's the same way with preaching. Now, I'm done. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name. Father, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your people. We're going to do what we're going to do going forward. We want to reprioritize prayer, Lord.